On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about a subject that um, is somewhat controversial. People take different views on it. We think it's an important topic to discuss. We want to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's my bad. My bad. Yeah, you're a speaker there. We want to talk about that, but uh, we also we don't want to get so wrapped up in what people might misunderstand that we forget the the point and we'll, uh, and the we'll importance. Talk of, about, we want to talk about what we do know about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to get to that, and the virtual Bible study starts right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one. Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 8th, 2018. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you. Running a little late tonight, kind of hectic around here, getting everything ready to go, but we're, we're, we're ready to roll now. And uh, Monty Overton is behind the controls tonight. Monty, glad that you're here. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. Looking forward to hearing from you, Monty, and looking forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line tonight at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or sign in the chat room and uh, chat with other listeners. See Linda in there, Rick, Dwight, Aaron, uh, A. Haynes, and MTP. If you've not signed in, sign in uh, and chat with other listeners on the program tonight. Jacob, we have... um are still encouraging people to stay with their Bible reading calendars. I think it's probably pretty late to get a hard copy of it. We're into February already, but I am hearing from people. We even got an email from our friend Chris in Atlanta who uh, is keeping up with it and and getting the daily readings off of our website. You can do that. Oh, yeah, you, you don't have to have a hard copy. You don't have a hard copy. You can get the daily Bible readings off of our homepage at collegeview.com, uh, and there's a link right there to it. Uh, we'll also be glad to send you a, a bumper sticker. Help us get the word out about the virtual Bible study. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And maybe you said, well, you know, I wish I had started in January, but it's so far behind now. Well, why not make a plan to just read the New Testament? That's just one chapter a day, so you double up a few days on that, and you can catch, catch up, right up. Read all the New Just read the New Testament this year. Uh, if you got a late start, uh, Monty, you're using you know, some technology to your advantage in your uh, Bible study this year and last year as well. Yeah, I've got the uh, Bible software on my phone, and I can put my headset on at work and listen to it when I get my machines going. And I've done listen to the entire Bible all the way through once this year, and I'm uh, I think in Second Chronicles again now already. So all right, so, so there Good you job. go. Good job, man. And you were telling me that listening to it that way, you've actually picked up a few things that you had missed reading it. Uh, so, you know, it's, that's one of the amazing things about the Bible. Every time we go through it, we find something new that we hadn't hadn't seen before. It's quite amazing. But uh, Bible, wonderful book, and of course, we need to be exposed to it continuously. That's right. All right. Um, to our update list earlier today, we send out our topic. If you're not getting our updates, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list, and maybe also put send me a bumper sticker and give us your snail mail address. Oh, yeah, those are still out there. Uh, so, uh, uh, But anyway, you can get on our list. To our update list today, we sent out these questions. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in Christians? What about the Father and the Son? Is there a difference in the indwelling of these three? 
Number two, is the indwelling of the Spirit miraculous? Number three, does the Spirit dwell literally and personally in the Christian? Number four, what actions of the Spirit that are directed toward the Christian does he do separate from the Word? Number five, what conclusions can be reached by comparing Ephesians five eighteen and 19 with Colossians three sixteen? And number six, explain the terminology indwelling. In a practical sense, what does it mean when one person dwells in another? Mm-hmm. Okay, good uh, questions for us to consider tonight. You're going to get through all those. Well, we'll have to. We'll have to kind of stay after it. All but right. let's start out with making a statement that I hope if if no if if people listening don't get anything else out of what we're saying tonight, let us pl- say plainly and distinctly. So that we cannot be misunderstood, we believe in that the Spirit of God dwells in the Christian. Yeah. The the Scripture says that. It says it so very plainly. You'd have to deny the Scriptures to deny that the Spirit dwells in Christians. The Spirit does dwell in Christians. Now, having said that, we would also go further and say that all three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, they all dwell in us. For instance, the Father dwells in us. Second Corinthians 6, verse 16. Uh, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. So God dwells in his people. Uh, in First John 4, verse 15 uh, whoso shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Um, but did you notice there that not only does God dwell in the believer, but the believer dwells in God, too. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Yeah. So, you know, uh, if the Godhead dwells in us, the Father dwells in us, but we dwell in the Father. we got to think about that. In fact, eight times the Father is said to be in us in the New Testament. Jesus is said to be in us, Colossians 1.27, uh, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, so Christ is in us as well. But notice 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So there's a sense in which Christians are in Christ. But again, about the Son... Sixteen times the Son is said to be in us. Yeah. So eight times the Father is mentioned to be in us. Sixteen times the Son is mentioned to be in us. And then concerning the Holy Spirit, certainly we agree. The Scriptures say He dwells in us. If he, or excuse me, Romans eight eleven. If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. So there's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Uh, Verses like Galatians 5, verse 16, talk about us being in or walking in the Spirit. Uh, So uh, here's what's interesting. I think this is really particularly interesting. Of the Holy Spirit, it's mentioned six times that he is in us or dwells in us. Six times. But that's mentioned of the Father eight times and of the Son 16 times. We usually don't hear anybody talking about the Father dwelling in us, the Son dwelling in us. But for some reason, there's there's emphasis on the Spirit dwelling in us. And for some reason, there's controversy associated with the Spirit dwelling in us. Uh, but, but again, uh, all three dwell in us. We dwell in them. This is true Bible fact. And, and 
and I don't know anybody that denies it, or if they do, they're just absolutely ignoring what the scriptures plainly teach. Yes, the Spirit of God dwells in us, but also the Father and the Son dwell in us, and, and we believe all three of those things, and we must believe all three of those things if we're going to believe the Bible. To answer the question, uh, Kent from Calhoun, Georgia, answered tonight. He says, yes, the Holy Spirit dwell indwells Christians. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwell Christians in the same manner representatively. Kent, thanks <coughs> Excuse me. for your email tonight. All right, and then we got an email from Aaron in Texas. He said, I really don't like the word indwell because people seem to use it only of the Holy Spirit, which makes it sound somehow different from what the Bible says about the Father and Son. Yes, the Spirit is said to dwell in us, Romans eight eleven. Likewise, the Father can dwell or abide in us, 1 John four twelve through 16, and so can the Son, John fourteen twenty three. Likewise, the Christian can dwell and abide in the Father, 1 John four fifteen and 16, and in the Son, John six fifty six. There is nothing in the language to suggest that these passages say anything about the Spirit that they do not also say about the Father and the Son and also about us. I agree. I agree with what Aaron has said there. And I think that's a point to simply be stressed. Uh, this is biblical terminology, and it's biblical truth. But please understand that it's about the Godhead. It's not about the Spirit specifically. And I this may just be my perception about it, but for some reason it seems that people want the Holy Spirit to be mystical in some sense or another. And that sort of drives some speculative thought about the Spirit um, that that we don't see in regards to the Father and the Son. And I don't really know the reason for that. But I think the Scriptures give us some insights, and that's what we really want to explore. But we start out with the very simple acknowledgement, yes, the Spirit of God dwells in us, as does the Father and the Son, and we dwell in them as well. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Now to the question, is that indwelling miraculous? How? How does he dwell? How does he dwell? And so we ask question two simply, is the indwelling of the Spirit a miraculous thing? Uh, certainly there are people in the religious world who believe that, Um and, and that goes to a whole other study that probably we should do again, as we've done in the past, to talk about miracles. Are there miracles being performed by the Holy Spirit in the world today? We believe the answer to that is no. And in order to save time, we're not going to go into the argumentation that we would offer, the scriptural proof that we think is there that shows that the age of miracles has ended. We believe that the Holy Spirit did empower men to work miracles. Christians in the first century specifically uh, were empowered, many of them, to work various miracles. We believe that that happened, absolutely, completely believe that that happened. We believe that the scriptures teach that age was to come to an end, and it has ended. Uh, And so this that we're talking about, the indwelling of the Spirit, is not a miraculous manifestation in in any way. All right. Um, uh, Monty, thoughts so far? Well, you know... Whatever we understand about the dwelling in us of the Holy Spirit, it has to be consistent with the same terms and things being used related to the Father dwelling in us and the Son dwelling in us. So whatever it means for the Father to dwell in us is the same thing it means for the Spirit to dwell in us. And so as we go through our study tonight, we just got to determine from the Scriptures what that means. Okay, I think that's right. All right, uh, Kent says, No, all miraculous activity has ceased. Holy Spirit baptism was limited to the apostles of Christ and the house of Cornelius. The ability to work miracles by apostolic confirmation was extant only until the New Testament canon was completed and confirmed because we have completed and confirmed word, the complete, a completed and confirmed word. 
We do not need miracles because only the apostles could confirm miraculous gifts, and due to the fact that all the apostles have died, we do not have the means uh, to have those gifts conferred upon Christians today. Good. And uh, um, Aaron says... Uh, there were miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in the first century, but this is not what is suggested by the phrase, the Spirit dwells in you. The best example I know is the Samaritans in Acts 8 when they were converted. I believe they received all the benefits associated with salvation, including a harmonious relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. But the miraculous gifts had to wait for an apostle because they were not necessary to that relationship. The Spirit dwelt in them in the same way that he dwells in any Christian without any miraculous manifestation even in the age when men could perform miracles. I think that's a good observation. And that, and I think most of our listeners would be familiar with uh, Acts chapter 8. The evangelist Philip went there. He was actually a, 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 a man who possessed miracle-working powers. The, the Samaritans believed and were baptized, including Simon the sorcerer. But they didn't receive Philip could not pass on miraculous gifts to them. And as Aaron pointed out, it had to wait for the apostles to come and actually physically lay hands on those individuals in order for them to receive that gift. But they were already saved people, and they were already the the beneficiaries of this covenant relationship with the Godhead. All right. So uh, it's a good point. If the, the promise for the Spirit dwelling in us was universal, no conditions upon that other than obeying and submitting to God. So... That would it would have to manifest itself if it was miraculous. It would manifest itself that way to all is a, a good point there made by Aaron. All right, I think all that's right. right. Okay, all, all right. right. Let's grab a break and and when we come back now, let's start getting into what I think probably uh, is is an area where some folks may disagree. What what is this indwelling? So we agree he indwells. I think. Probably everybody who's listening to us tonight or most everybody's going to agree it's not a miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit dwells in us, not miraculously. How does how does he and what does it mean that he indwells in us? All right, and some good comments in the chat room and some questions that we want to get to as we go along in the study. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to get a break, and we'll get your thoughts during the break, hopefully, and on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Here's some quotes worth pondering. When you think, you'll thank. 
When complaining exists, thankfulness is absent. A Christian shows what he is by what he does with what he has. A great man is always willing to be little. You never really lose until you quit trying. A good father finding his son on the wrong track will provide switching facilities. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Holy Spirit does dwell in us and what exactly that means. We're looking to the scriptures uh, for answers on that tonight, and we hope that you'll stay tuned and uh, provide your comments in the chat room or over the phone at 877-381-4567. We had a question in the chat room. What if this view, this is from guest 4677, what if this view is incorrect and you are guilty of quelling or quenching the spirit as mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19? 1 Thessalonians 5 19 simply says, quench not the spirit. Uh, I actually, and I'm, and if if anybody dif- disagrees with me on the chat room, I'm just I'm answering that off off the top of my head. But I I would argue that the quenching of the spirit there may very well have been in the miraculous age because the very next verse says, "Despise not prophesyings," uh, and so um, I'm I'm going to say, and I can be corrected if I'm wrong. It's been a while since I looked at that verse specifically, but I'm going to say that that verse likely has reference to the miraculous acts of the spirit in the first century age well because contextually the next verse talks about prophesying but we could that's qu- a possibility ahead. first that's first timothy 4 14 paul instructed timothy not to neglect this the gift that was in him which was given by the by prophecy so they could and i think that was miraculous there for sure right so that so they could sort of override the gifts that have been given or, or not use them like they should um but I yeah. think it also could mean quench not the spirit. Could also mean that you you ignore what the spirit's telling his us. Work, his yeah, work is you ignore his work. You're just you could whatever it is what, yeah. in regards to you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It would seem like it could also be having to do with since it refers specifically to prophecy, trying to suppress the revealing of the word by the spirit. Possibly. Yeah. Hey, give us some thoughts in the chat room again. I've, I've, it's been a while since I studied that specifically, and I'm and I'm just answering off the top of my head. But, but it seems to me that 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 is the context under consideration there. All right, yeah. Let us know your thoughts and um, and uh, and uh, and also explain to us how uh, you, those who made the, the comment or the concern explain how you think it, our our interpretation could uh, quench the spirit. Um, the, the implication is that this would teach something contrary to what the scriptures teach, and so. You're under, we'd like to have your understanding. And, and we're going to go on and flesh this out some more, too, so stick yeah, with right, us on that. Right. So this, the, the next question we asked was, does the Spirit dwell literally and personally in the Christian? And I, I've, uh, Aaron has mentioned in his email that, that he doesn't really like that terminology, and I don't know that I do either necessarily, but we're just trying to grab a handle on the view that some folks have that somehow the Spirit is actually in us, uh, in, 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 in his being, uh, not just representatively, not just by his influence, but that he, that he personally dwells in us. And, and so let me read what Aaron said. He said, I honestly don't know what literally and personally means when people ask this question. I believe that there are things that the Spirit literally and personally does on behalf of Christians that do not require his presence in any particular place in the Christian's body, though they may affect the Christian's mind. 
The word dwell and other terms used to refer to the Spirit's work do not require him to be located in any particular place. Focusing on the question of whether the Spirit is somehow inside the Christian is, in my opinion, a red herring. Uh, maybe so, but I, 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 the reason I ask the question is because that's what folks say. I mean, that's that's the position people take. It's not biblical terminology, um, and so it's it's a phrase that's been coined to by I think by people who think that the Spirit is somehow actually within them, not just through His influence, but actually His being is is inside of them somehow or another and, and and one of the difficulties here is when you ask for an explanation of how that happens usually there isn't one because it, it it's not defined that way in the scriptures it's not explained that way biblically and so i i, I i'm sympathetic with what aaron has said there. i think we're kind of grasping for something here to but that that's the terminology that's been employed, and it's been employed by people who take the position that the spirit in some some way is actually literally within the Christian. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, No, the Holy Spirit does not indwell literally and personally. Christ was incarnate deity in the flesh while on earth due to the fact that the second member of the Godhead literally dwelt within the within his body. If individuals literally had the third member of the Godhead Enjoying their flesh today, that would make them incarnate deity like Christ. Hmm, that's an interesting, interesting argument. I'd have to, I'd have to. Uh, can't you challenge me there? I'll have to think on that a little bit. But that's an, an interesting take, at least. So uh, you said that he doesn't dwell in. The, your view is that he doesn't literally, personally indwell. Well, whatever it is, and again, as Aaron said, that may not be actually very good terminology. I don't know. I don't know what terminology you use. But whatever it is, however however you want to express it, whatever he is in me, I am in him. And the Father is that in me, and I am that in the Father, and and likewise with the Son. So if it if it is a literal personal indwelling, and again, may not be good terms, but that's the terms that are used. If it is whatever it is that the Spirit is dwelling in me i am also dwelling in him and the father and the son in that same way and i and, and i don't think anybody believes that i am literally in the father literally physically or 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 personally uh in the in the deity money your thoughts when i think about the spirit dwelling in me uh i've heard the phrase used that you know you see a, a young man doing something and you say i can really see his daddy in him yeah well, my daddy, when people have said that about me, was not physically inside me. I mean, yeah. we weren't wrapped up and become one being or however you want to put that. But what they're saying, you can see certain mannerisms about my daddy in me, certain attributes that I do certain things the same way he does them. So you can see him in me and that his influence is in me. So to me, when I say that the, when the Bible says the spirit dwells in me, it's because I'm patterning my life after what the New Testament teaches me I'm supposed to do. So you're seeing the influence of the spirit in me. That's exactly what I think, too. And I want you to hang on to that, Monty, and have you elaborate a little bit more on that when we get to the last point we want to make is what does this terminology mean anyway this indwelling terminology Monty's really i think nailed it there we use that kind of expressions in in normal conversation and i think that 
we need to use some of that same kind of practicality in in describing the indwelling of deity in the Christian. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. One of the one of the issues that I've had through the years in, in talking to people who who have some sense of a literal indwelling of the Spirit, I I always ask, well, what's he doing? If he's if if he's in there, and that may not be a good way to say it, but I don't know how else to say it. If it's literal, a literal indwelling of the Spirit, what's he doing? And I've never received a good answer for that. Uh, and we've got a chart here. Marty's going to throw it up on the screen if, if we got our, all our ducks in a row. And you've, I think probably most of our listeners have seen a chart like this at one time or another. And what it does is it parallels the work of the Spirit, the various things that that it is said that the Spirit does... And then it shows a parallel verse that shows that the Word does that same thing. Uh, and we, we don't have time to go down through all of that, but let's, let me pick out a few of them to show you how, how that works. And by the way, on the, we're going to show two or three charts here tonight, and if anybody who's watching or listening wants those charts, if you'll send me an email to questions at collegeview.com and say, send me those charts. I'll be glad to do that. But for instance, this, the, it is said, John 16, verse 8, Jesus said that the Spirit would reprove sinners. Let me read that for you real quick. John 16, verse 8, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Spirit would reprove the world of sin. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Notice the word reprove there. But that was going to be done by the preaching of the word. So the spirit would reprove of sin. But later when Paul told Timothy, preach the word and in doing that, it will reprove sin. So you see the spirit will do it. How's it, how's he do it? Through the word. Uh, the Spirit is uh, said to be the one who comforts Christians. Look in Acts 9, verse 31. Acts 9, verse 31. Then the churches had rest through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost uh, were multiplied. So the Holy Spirit comforts. How does he comfort us? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 18. They were told to comfort one another with these words. Comfort so the words the that words. have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Comfort with words. So the Spirit will comfort, the Word will comfort. And then, real quickly, uh, one more. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 uh, says... Such, uh, talking about the sins, the previous sins of the... Gen, of the um, Corinthian converts, it says, Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So they were sanctified and cleansed by the Spirit. But interestingly, in John chapter 17, Jesus said that the Word would do that. John seventeen thirteen 13 uh, says, Now I... Come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the the word sanctifies and cleanses 
And it says the spirit sanctifies and cleanses. And so our our point there uh, is just that it's interesting that you can draw parallel passages when it says what the spirit does. It also says the word does that. And so you get the idea that the Spirit does his work through the Word. Well, let's clarify that. It, it, today, that is the case. Uh, in the first century, it was not entirely the case. Aaron says some, one of the shortcomings of, of charts like this is that some of the passages on the left refer to things that are not done through the New Testament. The first one is an example. John fifteen twenty six does not refer to something the apostles would get by reading the New Testament. So the chart actually has some examples of things the Spirit did by direct influence as opposed to using the written New Testament. In the first century, he was... When the, when the Spirit was direct, acting directly today, to inspire people. Today, we mm. would believe that would be limited to the Word because of passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that was said that that, that kind of type of supernatural knowledge would yeah. pass away. I agree. Uh, he said, can you comment on, or I'm sorry, this is not Aaron, this is, I guess, 4677. Can you comment on John 16... Verse 7, John 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Yeah, easy comment. This, these were words spoken specifically to the apostles. Uh, this, this is not a, a passage addressed to all Christians of all time. This is a passage of G, that Jesus, in some of his final words to his apostles, was promising them the coming of the Holy Spirit Verse to thir- miraculously guide them. Verse 13 goes on, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things and, to and come. And the verse right before that. Jesus said to them, again to these apostles, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He guided the apostles into all truth. This, this context is to the apostles, not to us. And um, we would tie that revelation that the spirit was to make to a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. And so the the Spirit was in the process in the first century of making uh, revelation, um, and it it was not entire yet uh, when the First Corinthians thirteen was penned. But there was a day coming when that would be complete, and in the first century that was complete. Um, and so the Spirit did the job that that Christ had foretold there in John sixteen. Yeah. And so uh, the answer we asked the question: What actions of the Spirit? that are directed toward the Christian, does he do separate from the world? I, I can't find any that in this modern age, uh, that the, I can't find anything that the Spirit does that's directed toward the Christian that he does apart from the Word. The Word is, is his tool. The Word is his implement. The Word is his device that he uses to accomplish his work in the world today. Now, uh, real quickly, I want to, I just want to, uh, uh, sort of take a preemptive strike, uh, on Romans eight, verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Uh, uh so, um, that's talking, but that's not talking about the something the Spirit does toward us. That's something that that's uh, some sort of and it and um, intercessory role that the Spirit does 
toward the Father on our behalf. And so this this is something, uh, again, that's why I worded it that way. What is something that the Spirit does that's directed toward me? That's directed toward the Father by the Spirit on my behalf. But what does he do toward me that... That that he that I can't find that he does via the word, and I, I can't find anything. All right, um, and um, it, here's what uh, Aaron has to say about that. As far as I can tell, the word and its messengers are the only agent that the Spirit uses to convince a sinner of sin and convict him to obedient faith in Christ. But I believe there are benefits that the Spirit bestows apart from the word to one who has already been converted. There are at least three examples. In Romans 8, verse 11, we're told that the resurrection of the mortal body will be accomplished through his Spirit who dwells in you. In verse 16, the Spirit assists our testimony to the Father when we lay claim to being his children. I've heard a lot of people misinterpret this verse to somehow say that the Spirit is testifying to us, but that is not what it says. At the end of verse 15, our spirits are crying to God, making claim of sonship. And the verse in verse 16 says that the Spirit supports this claim for Christians. Uh, it is testimony to God with the testimony of, that Christians offer. And verse 26 of Romans 8, the Spirit supports and enhances our efforts when our prayers are inadequate. None of these benefits of the Spirit involves the Word as a tool. There may be other things as well once we accept that not all the benefits associated with the Spirit are accomplished using the Bible. Uh, there is much less incentive for us to look at passages with the word Spirit and try to place it with the word Bible. For example, when Paul prayed for Christians to be strengthened through God's Spirit in the inner man, Ephesians 3, verse 16, I don't think it is necessary to conclude that he was hoping they would read more, but it, it does not bother me to imagine that there is a sense in which God can give the Spirit to those who ask, Luke eleven thirteen, and thus strengthen them by the Spirit acting on the inner man. I believe that the devil can suggest thoughts to us without forcing us to act on them, that is part of the nature of temptation. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Spirit can also uh, suggest good things without forcing us to choose them. Uh, I don't know. Uh, earlier in the chat room, Aaron, uh, same author, Aaron said we can we can do what ifs all night long, and that and I think, but I think he's ventured off into the what if category there. Uh, he says it could it could be. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, but where are you going to go to the scriptures to to establish that? It's, it's not, he says it's not out of the realm of the possibility that the Spirit can suggest good things without forcing us to choose them. But where would you go to the Bible to to show that He does do that? I can't. Uh, so that's speculative. We're just uh, again. I'm, I'm going to say that the Spirit's tool. The 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 agency that he uses to affect me is the the revealed truth of God, and it's all sufficient. It's all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Second Peter one verse three, and so as I allow that to to affect my inner man, that's how I'm strengthened in the inner man by the all sufficient truth of God revealed by the Spirit. There's nothing else I need. I don't need anything else. If I need something else, then the word is not all sufficient. And, and, and that would be a denial of what the scripture tells us about the word. And so the spirit works in my inner man by the influence of his word in my thinking and in my actions, I believe. Uh, Monty's got a point. Yeah, go ahead. The Bible says that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those that would believe. And t- Paul told Timothy, 
preach the word. So if it's preaching that's going to save us, Paul told what to preach that would save us, and that's the word. And the word that we have is is the Bible now. It's the, it's the written word of God. So we're to preach that word to save people's souls. We don't have anything else. And to, so to say that the Spirit may be doing this or he is doing something else is going beyond the word, and we don't know that. So it's just a supposition on our part. It's unfounded, and it's really sort of a waste of time to dwell on it. Aaron in the chat room says, so, Greg, where, I, where I'd get that, uh, that is by saying that Ephesians 3.16 means God strengthening through his spirit in the inner man. You're reading another agent into that passage. I'm suggesting there is no other agent mentioned there. But, yeah, but, but my, um, let me go to a chart, I, and I know, I know Aaron's seen this chart. He's probably seen this chart from me before, but um, Monty, go to the ones that show the, the guy with an axe chopping uh, you know what? a tree. You know what? We're way over time for a break. Well, let's grab that, and then we'll go to this let's chart. We have get to get the chart queued up, Monty, because we're going to it when we get back. And we've got some other comments in here as well that we need to get to in the chat room. We've got lots of ground to cover and not much time to get there. We'll get that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. The ability to submit is vital to our eternal salvation. Surely all serious Bible students understand the essential need to, quote, submit yourselves therefore to God, unquote, James 4, verse 7. Rebellion against him will certainly lead to damnation. But there's another area where submission is also necessary, and that's in our relationships with one another. In fact, this willingness to submit to each other is an indirect form of submission to God. Read Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24. Sadly, too many Christians fail in this crucial area. Understand, of course, that we are not discussing areas where truth and righteousness are involved. In those matters, we ought not yield or compromise at all. When Paul was confronted by false teachers, he, quote, gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, unquote, Galatians 2, verse 5. Thus, the only area wherein submission to one another is possible and necessary is in judgment, opinion, and expediency. But in these judgment matters, unfortunately, some are determined to have their way and at all cost. It seems that it does not register on their radar that their stubborn argumentation and consistent griping and complaining is so terribly detrimental to peace and unity. They are doggedly insistent on things being done their way and to their liking or else. Many congregations have been torn asunder by these folks. They may not realize it, but their conduct puts them squarely in the corner of their forerunner, Diotrephes. Read 3 John verses 9 and 10. A consistent plea throughout the Restoration Movement was, quote, in matters of faith, unity, in matters of opinion, liberty, in all things, love. That statement clearly sets forth the worthy principles of devotion and commitment to truth and humble submission in matters of opinion and judgment. Let us all observe these godly concepts and let us be especially mindful for the need of submission. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old and I love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight, having some good discussions, some good comments in the chat room here as well. And uh, along these lines, uh, guest 4677 uh, asked the question, so the Spirit is was not sufficient, but the Bible is more complete? Is that your point? No, it's not our point. We're saying that the Bible is the uh, completed work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible contains the revealed truths 
that Jesus promised would be revealed all to truth. us. All truth. He said that his apostles would be guided into all truth. That happened in the first century in the lifetime of the apostles, John 16, verse 13. And and so what he what he revealed to the inspired uh, Christians of the first century is all sufficient. And to, uh, to imply that we would need more than what we have in the Bible would contradict what the Bible says about itself, that it has all that we need. Yeah. And so if we need the Spirit to somehow reveal truth to us that's not found in the Scriptures, then that would contradict what the Spirit said about the Scriptures, that they were all sufficient. Uh, and I don't uh, quite understand this comment. Maybe you can give us some more insight there, 4617. The word mentioned in the New Testament isn't the Bible. It can't be. Yeah, the, well, it was, but it was the revealed word that was that was written down, yeah. and so it, it may it was it was prophetic or how how the spirit. We, we know that Jesus Himself is called the Word in right. John chapter one, but right. we're talking about the the written word. The written guess, word. Maybe we should be a little more. Certainly, specific. they were speaking things revealed by the Spirit that aren't recorded in the in the Bible, uh, but uh, the Bible was the record of what God gave, and and that record is complete. Okay. All right, let's go to these. Uh, uh, 32.52 says, why do we pray for wisdom? We certainly do pray for wisdom. James chapter 1 instructs us to do that. Wisdom is the application of, of knowledge. We don't pray for knowledge because all the knowledge we need has been provided. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. We pray that we'll, be, that we'll become skilled in applying what God has revealed to us. Okay. Okay. Um, Real quick, Monty, throw up those charts. Uh, we got a man splitting a log. I've been doing a bit of that lately in this cold weather. And that log that he's splitting there looks like a pretty particularly aggravating one with that knot, that knot sticking out the side. Monty's going to make that, that one hard. inconvenient. Yeah, it's going to make that one hard to split. But notice he's swinging the axe. So we, say the, we would say the man split the log. Right? Did you draw that picture? I don't know if I did or not. Uh, it's, it's, I've had it for a long time. It okay. looks like something I might draw. I don't know. It's not very artistic. Yeah. No, right. So you, we would say the man split the log, but you could also say the axe split the log because when that axe hits that, that log, that's what's going to break it open. So you could say the, the man split the log. You could say the axe split the log. You could say the man split the log with the axe. All right, now I think the next chart there, Monty, uh, suggests how we would use that analogy to talk about the spirit. Concerning the spirit, uh, we would say if, if the spirit is like that man and the word is like that axe and, and the, the child of God is the one who's being influenced, we could say the spirit acts upon the Christian we could say the word acts upon the Christian, or we could say the, the spirit through the word acts on or dwells within the Christian. Uh, I think that's a pretty good analogy. I'm, I'm probably not perfect. I, it's hard to make perfect analogies. But I think that that uh, does a fairly good job of explaining what we're saying here. We're not denying the spirit is active and working. We're saying he's like that man wielding an axe. The man, the man is working. The axe is what actually uh, hits the log. So the spirit is working. He uses the word. He 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 works upon the Christian. Uh, he dwells within the Christian in that sense. That that's what we're saying. Okay. Oh, <laughs> guess sixty three sixty four sees a play on words here. A C T X 
ACTS on the uh, and AX on, so or like you know, so you got your AX, AXE, and your AX. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Aaron says if we also read that Joe makes a table from the tree and builds a fire from the tree, we shouldn't conclude that because Joe used the axe for cutting, he only used the axe for anything else he does with the tree. You'd make some pretty odd inferences that way. It doesn't change the fact that Joe did cut with the axe. Uh, don't don't try to take my analogy too far. Analogies fail if pressed too far. Yeah. Just trying to, sh- to to show how that terminology could be used. Used interchangeably. Yeah, we're just, just just trying to see how that that uh, uh, can. And Monty, go ahead and take that ugly picture off the screen because that's a. Uh, but the 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 point is, we're not denying the spirit working. We're just saying he works through the word, uh, and and we're not we're not limiting him. We're not saying that he lacks power or influence or ability. We're just saying that that's how he chooses to act. You know, go back to the log analogy. I could split that log a different way. I could split it with an axe, but I'm telling you, there's better ways to split logs these days than there is with an axe. I'd rather have a hydraulic log splitter if I had my druthers. But what we're saying, and so the spirit had an infinite array of possibilities for dwelling in or influencing the christian he chooses to do it through the word and that's what the scriptures tell us all right um aaron says the easy example is romans 8 verse 11 the spirit who dwells in us will resurrect the mortal body the new testament will not be the tool to accomplish it and unlike romans eight twenty six, the resurrection will be definitely targeted towards us i don't know that i would agree with that aaron the spirit who dwells in us will resurrect our mortal bodies. The spirit, because he dwells in us through the word, is what's going to make possible the resurrection of our mortal body. Uh, uh, so I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with that necessarily or not. But again, I, that, that w- that's not anything he's doing for me right now. That's right. something that will happen at the resurrection, but that's not a present-day influence of the spirit on my life. Okay. All right. Um but, I, but again, even sinners are going. To, the mortal bodies of sinners are going to be resurrected too. So I'm not sure about that in Acts chapter eight verse eleven. But I would Romans eight eleven. Romans eight eleven. I mean, but but I would say that's that's not describing something that's presently taking place by the Spirit toward me. Okay. All right. Uh, number five. Okay. Uh, we ask uh, about what conclusions you might draw by comparing. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, with Colossians 3, verse 16. Mind, we've got a chart for that one, too, if you look, if you can find it there. Uh, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, this is interesting. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. That that is actually commanding me to do something, but if this is just some passive passive act of the spirit f- filling me in some way that again people have real trouble explaining, but if this is something if this just passively happens to me, well, that's not what that verse says. That verse instructs me to be filled with the spirit. That's a command. That's something that I have to do. Uh, so. In fact, actually, the verb tense there would suggest that that the literal interpretation of that is keep on being filled with the Spirit. 
It's, it's, it's a present active verb, and so it would mean continuous action. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. How do I do that? Well, I think by, 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 by learning, studying, meditating upon His truth revealed. But actually, a parallel text, and I think uh, probably everybody who's listening to us tonight knows that if it, there's so much parallel language in Ephesians and Colossians. They just Those two epistles just line up with one another. And it's, it, Colossians 3.16 as a parallel passage is really interesting. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The last Notice that the last part of those two passages is, is very similar. And and so we're drawing a parallel to the first part, that being filled with the Spirit is parallel to letting, letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See that? Right. So that's the point we're making from that text. Okay. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a worthwhile point. Let's uh, see here. Uh, Aaron says Ephesians and Colossians are very similar books with very similar thoughts expressed throughout. So when Paul tells the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit and writes a very similar verse to the Colossians with the phrase, let the Word of Christ dwell in you, this suggests strongly that Paul intends for these phrases to mean similar things. Note that Paul expresses this to the Ephesians as an instruction, something for them to do, not something that God is going to do to them or on them or for them. And uh, from Calhoun, Georgia, Knight, Kent says, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, identify the fact that the Holy Spirit's in, uh, the, the fact of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, Colossians three sixteen indicates the means of how he indwells through the Word of God. All right, good. Okay. All right, we got one last thing. Uh, let's see if we can go back and, and get a handle again on this on this terminology. Thirty two fifty two adds: If we do not continue to study the word, we forget; we lose the spirit, or at least lose the spirit's influence on us. Right, uh, right. Okay. I think that's right. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Um, number six. Number six. What does the, what's the practical sense of, of indwelling? What does it mean when one person dwells in another? Monty, you started this a, a little bit ago when you talked about your your father in you. I, I, I can sure see your daddy in you. We we use that expression. Yeah, that's common terminology. We talk about people that way all the time, and so if and the Bible is using words and phrases that we understand to illustrate points to us, so that we can understand it. And so when it talks about the Spirit dwelling in us, it's just saying that we can see the influence the Spirit has on us by our actions, that He's influenced us to behave in a certain way. So when we study the Word and apply it to our lives, then we can see the Spirit acting on us in our life because we're doing what He's instructed us to do. Yeah, uh, we, we use that terminology about as parents with their children, the strong influence that a parent has on a child, and so you can see the parent in the child. You... you uh, um, you might talk about a teacher, you know, a teacher who was very strong influence on you growing up. It could be a Bible teacher or a, a, a teacher in secular school. They, they, they're said to abide in their stu- teachers abide in their students in, by virtue of the of the influence that they have. You, you, sometimes you hear the nas- national leaders possessing the hearts of their people. You know, well, that, again, that that's not literal, but it is it's talking about influence. But I, I think one that, that sort of hits this pretty close to home is the idea of two people in love. You know, this boy loves this girl. He has her in his heart. That wouldn't be, uh, we're coming up on uh, Valentine's Day next week. 
And so this boy and a girl are in love. He has her in his heart. Nobody's going to think that that means other, anything other than that he is really uh, attached to her. Uh, uh, he, uh, he thinks about her all the time. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was thinking of this. He thinks about her all the time. Uh, they have the same attitudes uh, toward things. They want the same things. They desire the same things. They view things the same way. Uh, uh, they 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 want to do what will please the other person. Uh, all all of that is is the practical sense of having someone in you. In, in other words, their influence, uh, their love. You 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 think like they think. You want to do what pleases them. Uh, you share the same kind of desires and goals. Well, all of that would be appropriate for us when we're talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in us, and so we think we think about it. We think about Him and His influence. We meditate upon the Word. We want what the Spirit wants. Uh, we we desire the same things and so forth. All of that. And you can see the Spirit. So I could say, Monty, I see the Spirit of God in you. I don't see it with my eye, but I see the influence of the Spirit of God in you as you live your life as a Christian. That's just normal uh, language. We, we talk that way. Monty, uh, Aaron uh, says, and I was going back to get this comment he submitted earlier. He's restated it here now. Monty, if God dwells in us, means that God influences us to behave does we dwell in God mean that we influence God to behave differently? Was, That's my biggest problem with this analogy. It doesn't work in reverse for us abiding in God. Our explanation has to be reciprocal. It would seem to me that when we say we dwell in God, then what we're saying is that we're applying the principles God's given us to our life. So we are living inside the rules that he set for us, so we're dwelling in those rules. We're living that way, and he dwells in us. You can see that by the activities in our life. Okay, so I think it... I think that the maybe the it's it's describing a very close relationship, yeah. and that relationship may be different for the two different parties. From an authority figure to a submissive right figure, right? Those are going to be different, but it's still describing a a harmonious and close relationship. Yeah, yeah, and and so and the well, same same be true for uh, your you and and your spouse. You know the. You, you're there, there in your heart. You're, they may be influencing you in a way, and you may not be influencing them in that same way. But it's that still that close, harmonious relationship. And, Jesus and said the same thing about John, yourself and the Father. John 17. Right. I was just going to that. John 17, uh, 21, talking about his followers. He said that they all may be one, as Thou Father art in me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. Yeah. So the Father and the Son were one in one another uh that that uh, father thou father art in me and i in thee and so they were completely harmonious you couldn't talk about a a closer relationship than the relationship existing between father and son that's and that's the terminology that and that's what this terminology means and so as we are uh, dwell in god and god in us it's describing this intimately close relationship this and and, and and but again i think in answer to aaron's question i think it's a good question because we're at different roles and the father 
has authority that we don't possess, then there's some difference there, but it's still talking about this close relationship. Aaron says, any explanation, uh, this is in his email, any explanation of dwelling in must encompass the fact that not only does God dwell in us, but we dwell in God. In fact, some verses such as John 6, 56 and 1 John 4, 15 and 16 explicitly state that the dwelling is reciprocal. God abides in him and he in God. If this means that God does something to or for us, then it also means that we must that we do the same thing to or for God, and that doesn't make sense. Instead, this metaphor is used to suggest a harmonious relationship, the sort of relationship that allows two to walk together because they are agreed, Amos 3, 3 and Psalm 33, verse 1. My opinion is that the multitude of passages about the Spirit being given and received are more challenging because that is an idea that seems to be mostly exclusive to the Spirit and not reciprocal, but that's another study. And then Kent says, by the term indwell, I refer to influence or fellowship. One personally does not literally indwell another personality. The only way I personally can indwell another personality is by means of influence or fellowship. So Kent catches both of those concepts with his response. Uh, all right. Uh, we got, we're got we just out of time. We got some comments we didn't get to in the chat room. Rick says, Romans 8.11 teaches God will raise us up just as God the Father raised up Christ. Note, he who raised up Jesus. Um, that's uh, That was some of that discussion about Acts 8. Uh, um, Aaron says, through his spirit who dwells in you, like Joe and the Acts, this verse says God will do it and names the agent through whom it will be done. So that's all in response to that raising up in Acts chapter, Romans 8, verse 11. So, uh, And then Aaron says, Jacob, I think you're right about a harmonious relationship. That's why I would call it about relationship rather than influence, because influence isn't, as, isn't a good description for us dwelling in God or the Father and Son dwelling in each other. I just don't like the saying it's influence, which is one way. Okay, I, I can accept that. I understand. I understand that influence, I, influence. Part of that relationship is influence. And so it, it certainly it's, is toward us. Yeah, you, yeah so you but, can't. But, but again, I, I would say you got to remember that we're, the, the Father and us, or the Son and us, the Spirit and us, we're not on equal plane. They, they are in position of, of, of spiritual authority over us. And so us dwelling in them is not necessarily exactly the same as them dwelling in us in that relationship. It, it describes a close relationship, and, I, and, and that's probably... Uh, yeah. really good to talk about the harmonious relationship. But I do think that their indwelling us does influence us or affect Monty, us. Right. Like go, a father and a son. Go, Monty. As I've listened to the Old Testament, going back through a lot of it this week, and, and God describes his covenant with the Israelites. And in effect, he's saying, when you do what I tell you to, you've influencing me to bless you and give you lots of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Talked about the land he was going to give them and the relationship they'd have with him. But he says, if you don't keep the covenant, then in effect, you're influencing me to punish you. So we do have an influence on that, God that we, could, that that we on can us. have some effect on we what he does. We have effect on what he does. When we behave, hmm. when we do what he asks us, he's, he's going to reward us for that. He tells us we're, ultimately we're going to have a home in heaven. And if we disobey and we're rebellious to him, we're going to influence him to behave toward us in a different way, which is to punish us forever in hell. Uh, you give me something to think about there, Monty. So well, before we quit, there are lots of you know some things here that maybe we uh, can talk about some more, but there's some takeaways we need to have here as well. The Spirit dwells in us. We, we all agree. We all agree. We don't dwell in God. We dwell in Christ. Christ dwells in us. What's the implication? What are the takeaways for us? Well, that we want to maintain. If we want to maintain that relationship, we want to have that close, close harmony. Close relationship. 
And I think we do want to let the Spirit influence us through the Word to and uh, to live the way God wants no us question. to live. Um, and that, that, that's a comforting thought. That we want our uh, we want our desires to be as exactly like the Godhead's desire as it possibly can be. That's a comforting thought that uh, that we could be in that that kind of relationship that yeah. that God could say that He dwells in us and that we're dwelling in Him, Monty. Well, ultimately, that's what we want to hear because that would be included, in, in effect, in that statement, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of your Lord. So that's how we want to be, that our we conform our life and our thought processes to his so that he's willing to let us live with him in eternity. And a passage we referenced earlier tonight, Second Corinthians six sixteen. What agreement have the temple of God with idols for you or the temple of the living God? As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's a, a comforting thought. Yeah, it's it's a good thing, uh, uh, and I think it's a good thing to discuss and to to think about. I guess one of the takeaways I would mention too, Jacob, is just some caution about launching off into the speculative realm. I've got the spirit in me, and the spirit, but because I really think you're just a short step away, and I've actually known some Christians who've taken that step. They believe in some kind of literal indwelling, and then they begin to believe that the Spirit is influencing them to do certain things. Even contrary to the Scriptures. Maybe even contrary to the Scriptures, but certainly extra-biblical kind of influence of the, of the Spirit directly in their lives. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's important to try and get a handle on this, because if if we don't, then I believe we've left an open door to some dangerous things later on. Right. Okay. Monty, thanks for helping us tonight. Thank you, Jacob. And your comments. Dad, thank you. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for being on the other end of the line and for your participation in the program. We have benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. you got questions, got comments about what we've said. Uh, if you uh, think that uh, we could uh, clarify things or if there are some things you disagree with, we'd love to hear from you. Questions at College View. Dot com. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.